I got tears in my eyes uh, the last half hour or so. The, the music and the kids, it just uh, it's really got to me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. When I was a boy, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, my passion was baseball. And uh, my team was the Cincinnati Reds. Sorry, Cardinal fan, Cub fan, that's all right. You know, I've kind of lost my passion with the Reds, but anyway. That was during the days of the Big Red Machine, you know, the glory days of Bench, Rose, Morgan, Perez, Concepcion, Foster, Griffey, and Geronimo. And my favorite player by far was Pete Rose. I just loved Pete Rose. I idolized him probably. I just wanted to be like Pete Rose. And back when I played, this is shocking to, to some people today, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds were all on the same team. And when you were 9, you didn't play. You sat on the bench, or I did. And I might play an inning in right field after the game was essentially over. And as you progressed, though, as you got older, you played a little more. When I was 11, because we had some really good 12-year-olds, our team won the league championship. It was really a big deal. Still is to me, I guess. Um, but I got to play because I was 11, and I wasn't any good, but I got to play. And, and because Pete Rose was my hero, I, I tried to imitate and emulate everything he did. And back in those days, uh, Pete Rose was known as Charlie Hustle. He was known for hustling uh, on the field, okay? Uh, <laughs> later, it was other stuff. But he was known for that because uh, when it was time to leave the dugout and take the field, he would sprint out to his position. And he played different positions over the years. And then when this inning was over, he'd sprint back to the dugout. When he was up at bat, if, if he uh, got walked, he would fling the bat and he would sprint to first base and round the corner. And when he stole a base, how did he slide in? Head first. Head first. And so... I wanted to be like Pete Rose, and the, uh, the highlight of my baseball career, which there's only one, was um, at the end of that season, we won the league championship, they passed out awards, and one of the awards they passed out was the Hustle Award, and here it is, ladies and gentlemen, today. Yeah. Got my name on it. it uh, I guess it shows you how my life's been, that this is really one of the biggest deals of my life up there. It's almost 50 years old, Sean. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I do have a bag of goodies here. There's more to come later. But you know, the, the point of that is, and another thing that Pete Rose and I have in common, neither one of us are in the Hall of Fame, um, so, and probably never will be. My point with all this is the importance of striving to be like Jesus. That's, that's what this whole sermon series has been about, and today is the last day, and and. When you, when you really look at someone and, and you want to, to be like them and you start uh, emulating and imitating their practices, in some ways you become, you become like them. And the point of, of this is that we are to look at Jesus and we look at his attitude and we look at his approach to life, we look at his actions, his spiritual practices that formed him into who he was, and we say, we need to be like that. And we say, well, what, 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 how, did, how was Jesus formed? How was he spiritually formed? We pointed out early in the series that Jesus was fully human. He identifies with us fully as a human being, and, and from that understanding and from that platform, we looked at what Jesus did. 
as a human being to become who he was. And, and we notice that he was dependent upon the Spirit. He prayed. He prayed a lot. He studied Scripture. Jesus was very careful to submit and obey his Father. He exalted his Father as the source of everything. And Jesus lived in community. And he had powerful relationships with men and women with believers and unbelievers, with people who were holy, and, and, and with people who were just horrible, horrible, terrible sinners, people you wouldn't associate with. Jesus loved every last one of them. But as he moved through his life and ministry, he chose to focus on a few very intentionally, building deep relationships with an eternal purpose. And that brings us to today's lesson, Jesus and multiplication. And so this lesson is about, it's about each of us becoming like Jesus and thus multiplying his efforts. Do you get it? We multiply the efforts of Jesus by becoming like him in this world. And it, it's, really, it's, it's really about us doing that and then teaching others to do the same. And it's about all of us together taking the future and bringing it into the present, okay? It's, it's about living in such a way that those around us see us as individuals and as a church and say, you know what, that's a little different and it, it's kind of like a little bit of heaven on earth. That's what we're to do, that's what Jesus did. One of the things that really has helped me over the last couple of decades is to understand the Bible as a drama or a story. There's six scenes with, uh, six acts with several different scenes in each act. And so act one is creation, act two is the fall, act three is the nation of Israel, act four is Jesus, act five is the church, act six is the consummation of all things or the end times. And so it helps me to, to, to look at the whole picture and then, then to go into specific parts with that lens and understand it. But when you look at the overarching story, the story of God ultimately is about his goal and his plan to bring everything back in the end to the way it was in the beginning. So the end of the story is the same as the beginning. God is in full fellowship, face-to-face -face fellowship with his creation in the paradise of God with the absence of all the stuff that bothers us. No more mourning, no more death, no more pain for the old orders of, order of things has passed away. Behold, I'm making everything new, God says. And so we look for that day when, when we realize all that. But that's how that story works. And from the moment Adam and Eve rebelled and bring sin into the world, Act 2, we're introduced to evil. We're introduced to the powers and principalities that will really like to destroy us. Break that relationship with God and, and put us on a path to everlasting destruction. But God enters into the story, and he now has a mission of redemption and rescue. And he gets up close and personal with Abraham and develops a nation through him, the nation of Israel. And their goal and their purpose is to be light to the nations, to show people really how to live and how to live in relationship with God. And they, they, the world is invited to participate in that. But the nation of Israel kind of fails in lots of ways. And so it's kind of like Jesus says, or God says, I'm going to come down there myself. And so Jesus comes. The word becomes flesh and, and lives among us. And Jesus is the centerpiece of the story because 
by his death, he is able to pay the price for our sins. He takes the punishment that should be ours. And so Jesus completes his mission of rescue and redemption, and then he passes it off to the church. That's why the church is extremely important. Jesus says it's now yours. And so it's now our responsibility to take this mission that continues. Now, we should make no mistake, it's God alone who can forgive and God alone who can heal and it's God alone who can provide peace, joy, and confidence and all those things that we so desperately want. God is the source of that. But, but, this is the thing that's surprising in some regards to some people perhaps. Jesus chooses us. God chooses to employ us as his partners and now asks us to be fellow workers in his mission of redemption and rescue. You know, that's a little scary. It's a little disturbing. But when you think about it from another angle, it's like, wow, he really has faith in us. And it's quite an honor for us to be invited into the mission of God to do the things that he started to do. I want you to think about something for just a minute. When Jesus ascends back to the Father after he has lived 33 years, ministered three years, how many followers does he have? It's not very many. According to Acts chapter 1, he has 120 people who believe. 120, a church of 120. And before Jesus ascends into the clouds, the clouds of, of God's glory, the Shekinah of God, before he ascends and takes his seat, a couple of times he gives a commission regarding the mission of redemption and rescue. And he tells them, I need you to multiply my efforts. I need you to go into all the world and, and tell them about what's happened and then tell those you've told to tell others. And I need you to go to the farthest corners of the earth and take care of this mission. And you know what? Sean mentioned this last week. They did it. They did it. Colossians chapter 1 says it's, it's been done. But you know this, the mission still continues because people have come into the world that weren't there then, including us. And so the mission continues. It's now our responsibility. And so there's a lot of ways to think about that. But, but, but one of the ways is to, to pay attention to what Jesus says. And he says some really good things in John chapter 15, which is our main text today. So let's look at that. It says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
So Jesus speaks these words as he's getting ready to depart. And, and he's, he's saying in this broader context, the same spirit that has empowered me and enabled me to do my mission is now going to be your comforter and counselor. He will live inside you. He will lead and guide you. And the same thing applies to us. And he says, you are going to receive this so that you will be empowered to continue this mission of redemption and rescue. And clearly, Jesus expects us to be fruitful. And we say, well, what does that mean? And what about that pruning thing? That sounds a little painful. I think the pruning thing is painful. It's, uh, to me, it's a way of looking at the problems, the difficulties, and the challenges that we all have every day. And some are worse than others. And there's a, there's a consistent mindset in Scripture that the problems and the difficulties we have are actually formative. We shouldn't go looking for them. They're going to come. But when they come, we, we shouldn't um, so much complain about them, but allow God to use them to shape and mold us. And I think that's what pruning is. And, and Jesus, I believe, is revealing that the more you follow him, the closer you follow him, the more you're going to be challenged by the powers and principalities of evil. You will, you will suffer as a result of following Christ, but it's so worth it. And he's really saying that's, that's part of the process, the part of the process of bearing fruit. You say, well, what is the fruit? Well, I think it's a lot of things, including probably Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all those, which are really the characteristics of Christ. But here I believe he's talking about me and you sharing our faith, sharing our story and experience with God with others so that they will come to know Christ, so that all of us together participate in this mission of redemption and rescue. And it seems like Jesus is saying there's a, there's a progression here of no fruit, which is a very scary thing, to some fruit, to more fruit, to much fruit. Do you see that? And, and there's a really important key to all of it that he, he says is really about connection. And there's one word that shows up Numerous times there in John 15, did you catch it? Remain, 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 remain. Eight or nine times he says remain. And that, that word remain, it means a lot of things. It means to abide. It means to, to stay present, not to depart, to dwell. And, and I really think what Jesus is saying is the way you remain is that you engage the spiritual practices that Jesus did. That's what you've been talking about, what we've been talking about for 10 weeks. And so we remain as we, we look at prayer and the Spirit and, and all those things that Jesus did. But I think, I think there's, a, there's a really key concept behind it, too, that Jesus talked about in John chapter 12. And I believe that is the idea of dying, dying to self. And so to remain in Christ is, is we wake up every day and, and we die to ourselves. We pick up our cross and die to ourselves, and we follow him. Jesus says something really fascinating, I think, in, in John chapter 12, if you want to look at that. Uh, it says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, which means he's going to die. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, then it produces many seeds. You're familiar with the, the principle of agronomy. You live in Indiana. And so we'll not talk about wheat. We'll talk about corn, okay? And this, uh, 
This here corn actually came from Bryantsville, big city of Bryantsville, not too far from here. It's where the Bryantsville Hunger Relief Project is. And speaking of that, Sean said, be sure and plug the Saturday the 27th. Listen, you should go down to the corn barn on the 27th. Even if you can't do anything, it's okay. Come and watch. It is, it is one of the coolest things that you will do because you're going to bag corn that will be shipped probably to Central America, but somewhere to feed hungry people. But here's the deal about agronomy. You plant one seed, you take it off a shelf. If you leave it on the shelf, it's just kind of like, it's, not, it's pretty worthless because it's not going to satisfy you if you eat it. But if you take by faith that one seed and put it in the ground, you get a whole bunch of seed. One seed multiplies if it dies. And so here's this ear of corn, and it came from one kernel of corn, and I looked it up. A typical ear of corn has anywhere from six to 800 kernels on the cob. So one little kernel produced this, which has six or seven, I didn't count, has six or 700 more kernels. And when you think about that, think about it through the idea of Jesus. Because of the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, because of the joy of seeing you and me and, and seeing all the, the hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who've come to know him, because of the joy set before him of reproduction, he, he took the cross. And so he's now asking us to do the same. No, we don't die on the cross to take care of sin. But when we die to self, so others can live, then we're following Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian who lived during the days of Hitler and was imprisoned and then put to death by Hitler, wrote some really powerful stuff. I know a lot of you probably read it. But one of his famous quotes is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so when we are hearing the call of Christ to follow him. He says, pick up your cross and die. What's he talking about? We're going to talk just a minute specifically what that might look like. But, but he's saying, I think when we rise in the morning, we say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, help me die to self. Help me to, to live for the sake of others as Jesus lived for the sake of others. And so what we're doing is we try to enter into the worlds, plant ourselves in their world so that they can see the relationship with, that we have with Christ, so that they too can come to know peace, joy, and confidence and all the wonderful things that come from Jesus. It's, it's a paradox. We give to, to receive and we die to live. That's the way of Jesus. There's an ancient uh, legend that uh, it imagines Jesus arriving in heaven after uh, his time on earth. And this legend says that the uh, angels all welcomed him and, and just had this tremendous celebration, praising him for what he'd done. And um, after the noise settled down, Gabriel goes over and asks Jesus, uh, Lord, you, you suffered and you died. It's just unthinkable what you did in a lot of ways. And he says, now, um, does everybody on earth know about it? And Jesus said, oh, no, no. Just, just a few in Galilee and Jerusalem. Gabriel said, oh, 
what's your plan then so that, that, that everyone will know? And Jesus said, well, I've asked, I've asked uh, Peter and the 12 and, and the others that are, are around them to take this message of redemption and rescue. I've asked them to take it to the farthest corners of the earth. Gabriel's countenance changed. In fact, it fell because he knew, he knew um, how messed up we are. And so he articulated his concern. He said, so, so what, if, uh, what if Peter gets discouraged and goes back to fishing? And what if uh, Andrew, James, and John do the same? And what if, what if Matthew goes back to collecting taxes? And Lord, what if, what if they all get discouraged and don't do the job? Do you have another plan? And Jesus looked at Gabriel with confidence and said, I have no other plan. You know, likely, each of us are in a unique position in that uh, we all have people in our world that uh, no one else in this room could reach. And so we, we have that responsibility to to multiply the efforts of Jesus in our little worlds. And you say, well, I don't really know this. I don't know the Bible. I don't know, I don't know how to do that. Well, I understand. It's, it's all a learning process. But here's what you can do. You can take one of these cards, right? And you can, you don't even have to have a card, but you, you just invite people to come. Say, hey, come along. Come and see. Just come to church with me. Next Sunday, I mean, everybody's thinking about it. And so it should be pretty easy. So go out this week and just say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? I'll meet you in the parking lot or you can sit with me or whatever. Just, just do it. They're available. I know some people today are hearing this perhaps and thinking, ah, you know what? I'm here because I'm looking for some hope and I'm at the end of my rope and you don't know what my life is like. I don't have enough money. My relationships are broken. My, my life is a mess. And I'm here just simply because I don't even know why I'm here. And now you're up there telling me that I got to go out and win the world and share my faith, the one I don't even have. I understand. But you know, the thing about Jesus is that's so beautiful, it's a journey. It's a journey. And so Jesus invites us to journey with him to start wherever we are. Come as you are, from where you are. And Jesus has this invitation to those of us who are really struggling. He says, come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And he says, You'll come and learn. We'll learn it together. We'll walk together. I'll, I'll show you the way. And so there's, there's that, and, and that's where we start. God loves you as you are, but he leaves you too much. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. Leaves you too much to leave you, loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to find his peace and rest and joy that comes with it. And then he wants to take you on a journey to where you eventually multiply his efforts and share his message and mission of redemption and rescue. 
One of my favorite church uh, history characters is St. Francis of Assisi. Love this, love this guy. You may have heard of his prayer. And I, I think this prayer really gives some meat and some words to the idea of, well, what do we do when we participate in the mission of God? Just think about it through these, through these uh, words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, may they see the hope that I have. Where there is darkness, may I bring the light. Where there is sadness, may they see joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. May it not be so much about me being understood, but understanding. Not so much about me being loved, but as to love. For it is in giving we receive. It's in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying like a seed that we are born again to eternal life. I've lived long enough to think that the world is about as crazy as I can ever remember it. And the world is just longing for peace, the kind that only Jesus can give and don't, that doesn't even know it. And these are such stressful, stressful, unsettled, confusing times. And here's the thing. We can make a difference. We can make a difference by opening ourselves up to be instruments of God's peace in the name of Jesus. So I want you to think about that. And if we can help, uh, we're going to stand in just a moment. We'll have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Father, uh, God, help us to be instruments of your peace. Help us not to be irritants, but instruments. Help us to, to get up daily and to thank you for this uh, mission of redemption and rescue which we've enjoyed. Thank you that uh, Jesus loves us so. God, help us to follow him, to, to be his people, to bring his love and light to this world. Make us instruments of your peace, O oh Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.